sitting here, Mr. Cook, toying with the idea of removing your heart and stuffing it like an owl. I have something to tell you. No, 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 let me tell you first. We heard rumors about what the high schoolers did on Halloween. Those of us who sat in the middle of the bus heard about houses permanently stained, grass set alight, infants made to feel lost and confused, spouses taken and put in different beds, hospital equipment gone missing and then reappearing. Some people told us that every underground cable would be pulled up and cut with razors, the retirement home would be emptied into the retention pond, and the railroads blocked by mounds of kitchen grease. We understood from years before that pets could be loosed in culvert pipes, that sinkholes could be pushed. There were whispers about church savings drained overnight, cars left running in sealed showrooms, city buses coupled by chains between their back axles, skylights blacked out with shoe polish and batteries leaked in drinking water. We woke on November 1st nervous to look outside, but we pulled the curtain anyway, peeked above the sill. And when we saw the neighborhood exactly as it was the morning before, it seemed like the worst kind of prank. I prepared a different sort of ceremony. I got my daughter the novelty pet brine shrimp she was asking for, the sea monkeys. But I took the eggs out of the package first and replaced them with her grandmother's ashes. On the morning of my daughter's birthday, weeks after the cremation, I gathered all her aunts and uncles and all her remaining grandparents around the kitchen table. With the miniature aquarium in front of us, I put a finger to my lips and lifted my daughter's blindfold. Immediately, her hands went up and stifled a cry. Now watch very closely, I said, leaning over her shoulder to sprinkle the dust onto the water. Some of it floated, but some of it dropped. It made a long veil that rippled to the bottom. Those that didn't know what I had done told my daughter she would have to be patient for signs of life. But I said no, Keep watching. You can almost see her swimming. And those that knew kept their eyes on my daughter, waiting for the pleasure on her face to consummate their grief. Jocelyn woke up an hour before she had to because she didn't like her job and she wanted some part of the day to herself. She walked her dog down a short, steep slope and into a park that held that morning's fog like a bowl. This morning, beyond the bocce ball court, and across the middle of the park's long open green, the freestanding facade of a Romanesque church now blocked her view of the garden. The wall's gray stones were spotted with damp. They surrounded three towering doors, each decorated with curving ivy, and each capped with rings of nested arches. Jocelyn scanned the park for anyone who might know something about the wall, and when she saw no one, not walkers or joggers, or the men in yellow vests who sometimes milled around with plastic grabbers, it made her think she could safely let her dog off its leash. Sitting then on her usual bench, she closed her hands and her thighs and came as close to sleep as caffeine would allow. Her thoughts were quiet and unfocused, but she couldn't shake her awareness of the time. After three minutes, she called out for her dog, who came out running from behind a swing set. The soccer team had reserved field two every Saturday afternoon throughout the spring and summer, but when the coach and his son arrived this Saturday, they found the field impossible to play on, like the time in early spring when it was cut up with tire tracks. Now the western entrance of an abbey church stretched across the halfway line. It seemed to support itself. Between each of its three doors were three fluted columns, topped with boughs of wide, bending leaves. 
Above them, men and lions marched in a long file. Their backs were curved. Their heads were too large for their bodies. The coach's son took out a ball to practice juggling. When family by family the rest of the team arrived, piling their equipment outside their cars because they weren't sure where to take it, one of the parents suggested they play on field one. Should we try it? said the coach. They all took their gear one field over, agreeing to leave should anyone with a reservation arrive. After running out of gas, Peter wondered if he should put something in the driver's side window. He had seen other cars with white towels hanging out. He searched his trunk for a plastic bag or a washcloth, and, not finding anything, he took off his shirt. The exit wasn't far. Once the interstate curved around the trees, Peter could already see the ramp. There, in the landscaped area between the ramp and the highway, a dozen men in yellow vests collected trash next to what looked like the front of a medieval church. It had a row of statues set back in alcoves, miniature saints with their noses or lips chipped off. As Peter went up the ramp, he saw more men in the shadow behind the wall, picking up anything the wind had trapped there. One of them pressed his shoulder against the middle of the wall's three doors, dislodging it just enough to stick his grabber through to the other side and reach a glass bottle. Peter's neck burned. The sun was high. It occurred to him then that his shirt in the window might actually be a signal to have his car towed, and he looked back over the traffic for tow trucks or police cars before hurrying to the gas station.